0: It's been a while since you put me on the shelf. I know you've been distracted by somebody else. It's been a while, but that's all right, you see. And I'll be right here waiting
1: when you want to play again.
2: hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of cult of the old i'm ian McAllister and i am joined as ever by nate owens and matt thrower how are we doing gents i'm doing pretty well ian excellent good
0: start in the dark
2: yeah we're going into the winter months as we record this episode. we're recording on the 4th of october 2022 and yeah it's it's definitely in darker and colder out there i'm having to wrap up a bit warmer on the the cycles into work But you're not interested in that, everyone. Each episode, I and my fellow hosts are going to dive into the tabletop gaming past. We are going to turn back the release schedule at least 10 years to look at games that were setting tables ablaze in the dim and distant past of a whole decade ago. Over the course of the season, the games we are going to cover will still be available to play, either because they have become evergreen titles, that is, they are always available at retail, or they are accessible through illegal digital means like Board Game Arena. This episode, we are looking at a game that takes us back to the days of the Industrial Revolution, a time when canal and rail ruled the transportation networks of the United Kingdom, when unscrupulous barons made their fortunes off the back of the working class. But enough about modern Britain and back to the game. The economic game Brass was one of the games that made the name of its designer, Martin Wallace. Originally released by Tree Frog, it was so influential that it has seen a very recent reprint through Roxley Games. The original was released in 2007 through Tree Frog designer martin wallace as i've said artists were gavin brown Lena Cossette, peter dennis david forrest eckhard freitag and Damio Mamelitti, though some of those were involved with the reprint it's never really scooped any of the big awards though it did win the portuguese game of the year in 2007 the original year of release
1: so who wants to give me a one-minute breakdown for brass lancashire i can do it i'm not scared i'm not scared of anything Not with describing games, anyway. Uh, Your one minute starts now. In Brass Lancashire, the players take the part of titans of industry in 19th century England. Uh, You will be taking on different industries like coal mining and iron mining, and especially cotton uh, the textile milling. Um, as you go on, you'll build different factories and mines and connect them with, uh, at first, canals. And as you use the canals uh, to connect your network, you'll eventually mature the different uh, buildings that you've done, which means you flip them over and you get victory points for them. At the halfway point, the game actually resets and you go from the age of canals to the age of rail, and now you're building railroad connections between everything else. The same kind of things keep happening. You build new industries, you flip them to get more and more victory points for better and better industries. At the end of the game, the person with the most victory points is the winner. Very good. Just impressive Awesome! That's that I was
2: boiled down into a minute. Yeah, he's a, he's a professional. <laughs> that's right.
1: Awesome. That's why okay. I'm a podcaster. That's why <laughs> <laughs> the one marketable skill. Another oh, <laughs> color <call> skill. <laughs> Not a great skill, but you know, good enough.
2: So, how did we first come across it, gents? For myself, it was fairly recently with the Roxley version. I think it was 2019, just pre pandemic, with, uh, with a friend's copy. And that was my very first time playing the game, which we'll no doubt come back to. But for yourselves?
1: I played it for the first time about a decade ago. I want to say maybe three or four years after its release. And that was on the original Warf, uh, I'm going to say Warfrog, <laughs> the original Tree Frog version. <laughs> Warfrog is his, the, the Martin Wallace label from before Tree Frog. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was, uh, it was in the original version, the kind of the book, the bookcase box with the guy holding up the little, uh, I think it's a sextant or something like that. We played it a bunch, uh, like someone in the group had procured a copy because it wasn't, I think at the time it was kind of hard to come around, but he came upon a copy and we played it a bunch. It was, uh, it, it was a very popular game with us for about two or three years. And uh, I think at the time there was even some little browser implementation that someone had made that wasn't very, uh, wasn't very nice, but was the kind of thing we could play asynchronously. So (laughs) we would be shooting emails back and forth uh, on work breaks and stuff like that, playing a lot of games uh, that way, too. So we played it a bunch and then I moved away from that group. And I didn't play it again until uh, we played it together for this recording. So I spent <laughs> okay, a good, um, yeah, probably a good eight years off of playing. Uh, so it had to shake some rust off, but it was really good to revisit it again. Oh, you still beat me, so.
0: <laughs> I uh, used, talked about that rusty little browser implementation. That, that is actually the only way I have ever played Brass. But I, I've played it a number of times uh, on, that, on that app. Um I decided to have a go at it, really, just to catch up with the buzz, to be honest. It was a similar time to you, Nate, about, about three years, three or four years after it was released, and by which time it had very much made its mark uh, on the gaming world. I have always... <laughs> I've been a cautious fan of Martin Wallace's designs. They're designs I respect from afar. <laughs> I like the changes <laughs> that he's, he's been up to. And um, so I thought I'd give it a go, you know, through the browser. And and I was very pleasantly surprised. Um, you know, I I, I had, uh, I struggled with it for various reasons that we will no doubt come on to, but I enjoyed it enough to keep going with it, especially if it's so easy to play over the app. And I thought... I think it is, uh, you know, I, yeah, I had a good time with it, is all I can say. It, you know, it, it hasn't become a, a permanent thing. I figured it wasn't something I wanted to add to my collection, having played it on the app, um, partly because I didn't know if it would go down terribly with my gaming group, um, and also partly because, you know, limited gaming space, uh, limited gaming budget, and it wasn't, it wasn't everything I wanted in the game, um, but it's very striking for a number of reasons, and I, and I absolutely saw and see why uh, it rides so high in the in the rankings, in in people's and um, you know personal
2: love books, had, had either of you played any of Martin Wallace's games prior to Brass?
1: I I certainly had. Yes, I don't know about you, mate. uh Mine were mostly limited to um some of the just some of the larger hits. I'd played the various iterations of Age of Steam by this time, and I can't remember. <laughs> in two thousand eleven, I can't remember where exactly the copyright situation lay. <laughs> <laughs> which Age of Steam would be its own episode, and we could spend the whole hour just talking about the various yeah. snarl of rights issues. Uh, but I definitely played uh, at least Steam and what used to be called Railroad Tycoon, now is called Railways of the World. I had played both of those, and I think I had played the Discworld game that he did, the Ankh Morpork oh, yeah, game, sure. yeah. which was actually, I, I thought, pretty fun. But I, I think this was my exposure to games like Brass was more from stuff like Power Grid, which is one that was a, per- a perennial favorite with that group. I've played it a bunch over the years. So I think that was the the closer leap for me at the time.
2: Do you think there's some influence from those games, Nate, to like from Power Grid to Brass? Were they ran about the same time or is there an influence there?
1: I, I want to say Power Grid was three or four years earlier. I, I think it's... You know, I wouldn't presume to know exactly where Martin Wallace got all his ideas, but I think it's probably more accurate to say that they probably both have common lineage with rail games. Power Grid was in its first edition before it had an English edition. It was just uh, Funkenschlag. It was a crayon rail game like uh, Euro Rail.
2: Funkenchlag.
1: Yeah. That's a great name. <laughs> well, in Germany, it still is. Of Power Grid. Yeah. we just say that again, mate, because
0: that was delightful
1: funkenschlag it's my uh my, my german heritage you know the <laughs> great lakes united states um uh, <laughs> i'm just gonna have that on my phone as a notification yeah that's that, that's that's gonna be your sign off noise now on the podcast um <laughs> uh, they, they they both have common uh heritage in in rail games sure. and they both both i i'm gonna say age of steam and power grid both were notable at the time because of how they kind of condensed to the rail game experience, which until that time, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not deep in that culture. This is a whole other subculture like wargaming or something like that. Yeah. But both of those games are, are notable for how they really added Euro, uh, European style mechanics into what it was kind of a, kind of a very hairy genre known for a lot of, a lot of thematic touches and stuff like that. And so I think brass, you can draw a line, especially from Age of Steam to brass uh, because they have definitely some common qualities to them. And um, it's, uh, it's more of an overt... Brass is more overtly economic than Age of Steam. Age of Steam is a little more... Again, I've I've not played original Age of Steam in quite a while, but it's a more route building kind of focused game, sure. and there's kind of money management, but it's not this sort of holistic economy. Uh, the economy more develops in Power Grid, but it's probably taken a little bit further in Brass.
0: I um, I played certain uh, all the iterations of Steam and Railways of the World that have been out at that time. I played Struggle of Empires, um, which is another another Martin Wallace classic. And I'd also, I think I'd played a few acres of snow uh, when by the time. Oh, that's right.
1: Yeah, Um, I I remember that. that.
0: Yeah. Um, And I think the the reason I mention those in particular, I think Struggle of Empires and a few acres of snow. You mentioned the dichotomy between Tree Frog and Warfrog, and Warfrog was an imprint that Wallace used to publish more militaristic games, uh, whereas Tree Frog was was the more sort of like, you know, urified games. And and Martin Wallace used to be a history teacher, he was a full-time game designer. And you, you can see in some of these early designs, like Struggle of Empires in particular, but also a few acres of snow, you can see this this historical, that interest, that engagement with the historical material coming through, in a way that perhaps it doesn't in Age of Steam. Um but you can absolutely see it in brass, which is which is why I wanted to just to raise that there. Because because you know that that whole thing there with the split between canal era and the railway era, the impact of of the distant cotton market, uh, the way that different spaces on the board are usable to develop, um, you know, cotton mills, coal mines, you know, whatever. Each space is tied to a particular kind of industry. This is a game that definitely and arguably has a streak of historical simulationism in it. I think you you can't really kind of of argue that. Um, So it has that whole weight of of history behind it as well as the input that you're talking about nate of previous economic games like PowerGrid?
2: so brass has had not really much in the way of versions about it it did have a re-release through roxley games as i mentioned earlier a successful Kickstarter campaign in 2017 raised 1.7 million canadian dollars to produce Two new versions of brass. One called Brass Lancashire, which is effectively a straight reprint of original brass, and one called Brass Birmingham, uh, which has a slight, some slight variations in the rules. Will no doubt come back to. There is a phone app version out there. Uh, we have been trying to play it.
1: It is not <laughs> <Woof>. very good. <laughs> it, it, I, I actually think it's my turn and it just won't send me a notification. Uh. Yeah,
2: it, 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 it refuses to send you notifications. It's not very good. So if um, Dire Wolf or any of the lovely companies out there that are doing digital actions would get on that, that'd be excellent.
0: If there is there is another version, isn't there? Isn't there? A, oh, no, I'm thinking of Birmingham. Birmingham there's a version of the, of the Rotsley. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's why I'm getting confused. I don't think it's that bad, actually, that app. I, I, don't, I mean, it's not great. I'm not going to say, oh, I recommend this. It's It's, it's <laughs> yeah. super streamlined. Because it isn't. It doesn't send people turn notifications, as Nate observed. Um, but it's playable. Yeah, so I mean, it's playable. It's okay. Sure. You
1: know, especially I've definitely you... played worse. I've definitely played worse.
2: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So anyway, let's come to the impact of the actual time. I, I, I wasn't really... Buying this kind of game. Like brass kind of intimidates me, and we'll probably come back to that a little bit. But so what was the impact for you for you guys uh, when you when you were picking up brass, when you were seeing brass it, it's an influence at the time? What was what was happening with that at the time?
0: for Me, the thing that really stood out about brass is it was a it was kind of like the ultimate demonstration that you can have a Euro style game that does everything. Right? Because this was an era where we'd kind of drifted away from the early German games, you know the German games that, that came onto the market around about the turn of the turn of the millennium, which did have quite a lot of player interaction, which weren't terribly bothered about about theme, but you know they, they had some in there, and we'd moved into the area of heavier euros where things like balance and and weight of strategy had taken precedence over interaction theme because it's it's hard it is hard i don't know if we've talked about this before i can't remember but it is hard to make a game that is both balanced and interactive that is that is a tough design challenge um and people were only just getting their teeth stuck into it i think um back in 2007 and then along comes brass and for me when the first time i played it i just thought this is this is an extraordinary game because it ticks every box this is a game which as i've said is quite clearly an attempt to simulate the industrial revolution in britain Um, And of course, it makes huge concessions to gameplay, but nevertheless, that core history is there. This is a game which is highly interactive. Um, Although it's not zero-sum interaction, most of it, um, it's still very interactive because of the way that you are forced to use other players' resources, because of the way that you are sometimes forced to use other players' routes, because of the way that um, you can want to be first into the cotton market before before players drive it down. And yet, it is also a game that quite clearly has its underpinnings as a, a medium to heavy economic euro. You know, it works as a rich, deep strategy game, challenging strategy game, which is very hard to play well, um, like many of Wallace's designs. And I I'm not sure that there has been another game that has sat so squarely in... Three different camps so well.
1: You you talked there, Matt, about how it was. It made it makes a lot of concessions to historical uh, simulation. It's not a simulation game, but it, it it tips its hat towards historical factors at play there. And I I actually um, went through one of my favorite things to do to use board game geek for is to actually look at my geek buddy reviews. And I looked at a number of them that had been written at the time contemporaneously. Uh, and this is a number of people who were, you know, big wigs in the hobby or prominent bloggers or stuff like that. And a lot of them liked it because a lot of them were Martin Wallace fans. I think there was this sort of thing in the air like, oh, Martin Wallace has made another like important game because Age of Steam had already kind of had that reputation by this time. And so I, I think there was some of that in the air. But there were a lot of people who I think played it and were like, this is this is kind of a mess, and I don't think it's really a mess, but it is existing in two, uh, two kind of opposed schools of design, uh, the historical game design and then this Euro game design. Uh, there's a lot of little uh, factors with how the game plays, like how the different resources behave. They don't behave the same way, and it's a little hard to remember why they don't behave that way. The The split between canal and rail, which it feels it doesn't feel gamey it's the opposite it feels simulationist to the point of kind of breaking the flow of the game a little bit and not in a bad way but in a way that i think was a little disorienting for some of the some of the people at the time i i i think it i one of the things that was important about brass at the time was that it a lot of martin wallace games from around this time came out and then would would be snatched up by the people who like martin wallace and then wouldn't get a reprint in fact around 2008 or so he made kind of a big deal of saying i'm i'm coming out with like i think he might have done i I, boy i can't remember now he might have done like a subscription method where he said like if you if you paid i don't know three four hundred bucks or whatever it was you would get a new game from tree frog like every three months or something like he, he released like three or four games in a really short amount of time, all pretty well-regarded his fans like them. And this is one of those games. This is kind of released right in that stretch, but this one actually had some staying power and it kind of stuck around and just sort of stayed in the conversation mostly as kind of a cult hit. Uh, And I think we'll talk about this a little later. I don't think it was until the Kickstarter that it really sort of became you know, the pre and post Kickstarter is such a different world. You know, a, ga- a, a game like Brass could become a hit just easily in 2007 on word of mouth. In the post Kickstarter world, it's kind of amazing that it's actually had a new lease on life. Uh, and so I, I, I think at the time it was kind of a cult hit, and I'm not sure if uh, we could really see the full force of the impact at the time. And I know we've talked about this that stretch in 2007 and 2008 a ridiculously fertile time for important game designs. And, I mean, I think actually just about every game we've talked about was released right in that stretch. Uh, not, 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 not all of them, but that's... I don't know what was in the water at that time, but there was a lot <laughs> of really important games that just came yeah. out in this 18-month period.
0: I think it's... Uh, I mean, that's, it's, it's an interesting topic to raise. I'm just going to run with that, because I think it's quite interesting. For, for me, I've looked back at that, and for me, that is... That is the time when the the, the cross-fertilization between German-centric design and, and Anglo-Saxon-centric design really began to bear fruit. That, that, for me, is why it took off at that point, because you you'd got all these things that kind of existed basically semi-separately up until the turn of the millennium. And then in the early years of the millennium, you began to get some... Fusion designs. Uh, War of the Ring is a is a good example, I think, but that's yeah. two player only. And I know War of the Ring is a classic, but it's two player only. Um, and the idea of taking sort of like uh, more conflict driven uh, mechanics and semi random mechanics from from American style games and importing them more into sort of like the, the heavyweight strategy games that Euros have become. They were the early years of the millennium were kind of like tentative steps in doing that, and then suddenly around 2006 2005, um, it just opened up massively, and you had all these brilliant ideas, you know, the, which were new and novel at the time, uh, and, and in some ways which haven't really been bettered. I mean, that's kind of why we're doing this, right? Because I, yeah. I think you know, a lot of games nowadays are increasingly just iterations on those old design concepts which are just as fun but not more so
2: i mean that's arguable i think but yeah it depends on the game there you you called it a cult classic there nate was it a game that was sort of hard to find at the time was it readily available or is it one of those ones you had to sort of seek out
1: uh i i recall you having to kind of seek it out like i i don't remember seeing it in local game stores as an example like i And Matt, you can correct me. I think you're a little more attuned to earlier Wallace than I am, and I'm not very. (laughs) But Tree Frog and Warfrog games didn't, they weren't distributed in normal channels all the time, at least not in the US. It might've been different in the UK. I don't know. But I didn't see them in local stores almost ever. They were the kind of things that a fan knew they were coming out and ordered one of the Essen copies. And Brass definitely had that cycle. And I think that you could buy it through like online retailers, but it I, I don't remember actually ever seeing a copy in a shop until the recent reprint.
2: Let's move on to talking about our own personal critical impressions. Of it. I'm probably the person in the group who's played it the least. I played it I've played it basically twice, pretty much. I played it once with my friends copy of the Roxley version. Um, and I played it with Nate uh, using tts technically not legal but you know whatever and these kind of games kind of intimidated me for a long time these sort of like heavier economic games i never really i never really bought because my group doesn't really like um that sort of more dramatic euro style of game design so i've never really bought copies to put in my collection because i'll just not get them played i've tried a couple but yeah they've just just never washed with the group but one of the things I really like, it, it seems I, brass seems kind of intimidating and complicated from the outside because it looks kind of heavy and economic and it's got, like, especially the Roxy version, it's got this quite dur board, which I quite like. I quite like the look of it, but it's <laughs> quite a sort of like dur looking thing. and But one of the things I really liked about it when I started playing was each part of that system is relatively easy to understand. You've got your own little board in front of you where you can advance your technologies or or just use the technology you've got effectively to build whatever you want or push things forward faster to get the better stuff, but it costs more and it's all very well laid out to actually sort of explain that to you. And then the, like, as Matt says, the, the way that you have to use other players resources, it gives a wonderful sense of interaction. And, Oh, I, I plan to use that call for that thing, but now you've used it. Now I have to get some gold from somewhere else. and I have to go and buy it. And now I need more money and, it's got that wonderful sort of interaction of mechanics that sort of go round and round, which I, re- I really enjoyed. I really liked it. I think it helped. I won my first game of it. So I, I definitely helped my impression of it. That never Here's- hurts. And it never hurts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought it was going to, basically, in my initial version. And, and coming back to it with Nate, when we played on TTS, I remembered what I really liked about it. It's just each of the individual parts of it are relatively easy to understand. The whole is hard to master, for sure. And I definitely haven't got anywhere near that. But the individual bits of it are not overly complicated. And I really like the card-driven play as well. Like, there's a, there's a lot you could do, but you're kind of restricted by the cards in your hand. So there's only so much you can do, which is a nice, a nice, a nice sort of restriction of your sort of thinking space for what you can do.
0: I, I find it quite interesting, actually, Ian, that you say that you find it accessible, because I, I really didn't. Yeah. Um, I I don't think it is a particularly accessible game. I mean, it it's its reputation for sort of like complexity may be a bit overblown, um, but it has some. I found the first couple of times I played it, some of it really quite confusing, particularly the way that you flip things when you're done with them and score points. Yeah. Because that to me is like I've built a cotton bill. C- can I not just keep making cotton? You know, <laughs> when, you, when you've uh, I want to keep making cotton, and and but it kind of. While that aspect of it isn't intuitive, um and I think there are other aspects of it aren't, you can just take things from anywhere on the board, you know, if yeah. you need if you need resources and stuff like yeah. that. I think that flipping mechanic in some ways leans into what Nate was saying a while ago about the, the, the sudden state change between canal and rail. And and I find that really interesting because I really, one thing I think about a lot when I'm playing brass, and it probably marks me out as a bad player, I must say, but one thing I think about (laughs) a lot is I really hate, I really hate buying canals, knowing they're all going to be taken off the board. (laughs) It feels like such a waste. And, and, And while I hate that, I also love the effect it has on the game. I love that it makes me think like that. I love that it makes me think, do I, do I really want to invest a few quid in this canal, knowing that it's short-lived? Do I really want to invest in this crappy first-tier tech cotton mill, knowing it's going to be replaced, you know, or that I could get a better cotton mill? There's this constant push of drivers that things are going to be, oh, I really want to get rid of these tech stacks first before I build, but I've got to build to get money. And it just catches you into, into this, this vicious loop. But you're forced to make decisions you don't want to make in yeah. order to get an income going, um, which I think is great and awful at the same time. Uh, you know, see, and, I, and,
2: Yeah. I mean, I really like the flipping mechanic. It kind of appeals. I, I don't know what part of my brain it appeals to, but it just that thing of like, okay, I'm kind of done with this bit of my industry for now. And it flips over and gives me some points and gives me some, some income now. And it just sort of ticks along in the background. It's no longer... It's no longer directly influencing the game, but it's like sort of ticking along in the background, giving me stuff now, which I, I kind of like that it, develop, it develops like that, and then you flip it over, and then you can go on and think about something else. I quite like that about it. I agree it's not quite entirely intuitive in terms of like sort of how industry actually works, but I actually, I actually kind of like that mechanic. Don't know why.
1: I, I, I think that brass... That, so Martin Wallace is probably, and I don't want to say this definitively because I have two people... From the UK on my podcast with me, but I think he's probably the most significant designer from the UK of the last 20 years. Am I off base for saying that? I don't think I am.
0: I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that's about on base. Sadly, but
2: true. In terms of name recognition, you're probably like talking like someone like Ian Livingston, someone like that. But in terms of actual sort of like output in board game design? Well, and, 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 and out
0: the last twenty years, this is the thing because that was my first thought, yeah. was Ian Livingston, But you know, his his best work was done more than twenty years ago, sorry, Ian.
2: No, yeah, it may, I mean, see, I, I'm still just thinking in terms of name recognition, but yeah, Martin Walls for for sure for in terms of like current game design and still producing games to this day.
1: Yeah, uh, and and he, it's amazing because he's such a prolific designer. Mm-hmm. He just he blasts games out all the time. And a lot of them are really, uh, I I don't want to say really big hits because Brass and Age of Steam are the really big ones. But a lot of them are successful. A lot of them are solid. There's two things that tend to kind of drive me crazy about Martin Wallace. Uh, The first is that his, and this might be a product of, now I'm not a game designer, so you know, grain of salt and all that. But I think his stuff can kind of have this feeling of not having been totally developed. And I think that's borne out by how often you find games that end up with a second edition that's markedly different. A good example would be uh, a Study in Emerald. And you know, now I know people who really prefer, I've never played Study in Emerald, but I know people who really prefer the first edition of Study in Emerald, but the second edition is is really different uh, a few acres of snow I, again not played it but i know that it has it had at the time there was some flap around a pretty a particularly degenerate strategy that was pretty easy to fall into and i don't think that's always the case i haven't played enough of his games to feel that way but there's just this sense of like he's he's churning designs he is going through them so fast and i think there is sometimes this sense of like all right this one's out the door let's go to the next one so that's one thing that can drive me crazy. The second thing is he makes some very low luck games. And uh, we talked about pandemic earlier and that's, you know, some people really like that. That's fine. But I think that just makes a game feel very kind of musty and staid. There's just not enough uncertainty in some of these games for me. That's one of my actually favorite, my favorite version of the age of steam games is actually the original one because it had these uh you would pull the cubes out randomly when you were refilling a map if you played the steam version not not steam the digital platform but the game called steam (laughs) uh you actually would set out all the lots of cubes beforehand and you know martin wallace had a hand in actually developing that version to make it even lower luck and so i one thing brass brass avoids both of those things the, the design in terms of... I, I don't think there's anything here. I haven't played enough to really tell you, but I don't think there's anything here that feels janky or underbaked at all. It feels really well considered. And the other side of that is I, I, it has exactly the right amount of luck. It has what I want for a game like this in terms of luck. It has enough flex I think the card play, Ian, you mentioned... I think you mentioned it. Maybe not. Yeah. But the, the card play is just so good because... It gives you just enough flexibility, but not so much that you can just do whatever you want. Yeah. You have to actually think how you're going to plan this stuff out, and and that's just a really nice. That's a really good balance that it strikes there.
2: Yeah, I think I, th- I think for me, for me, if it was like one of those games like you mentioned that are low luck, that is just like you can literally do anything on your turn. I think that would just that would just fry my brain.
1: It, it, it's really paralyzing for me.
2: Yeah, like the cards provide uh, a nice restriction of like, well, I can only do certain things this turn, really, because of what's yeah. in my hand. Which I, I'm sure some people absolutely hate, but I, I really like, right. like, like yourself, Nate. I really like that that element of
1: randomness is the wrong word. Restriction, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's just it's just oh, yeah. the right it, it's yeah, flexibility so, yeah. in the right way, you know, and. Boy, I, I feel like I need to qualify my statement of some of the games not being particularly well-developed. No, I don't <laughs> think right. you do.
0: I don't think you do, actually, Nate. I, uh, my, my, you probably saw my face.
1: Um, I did see your face, and I thought, oh, shoot, he's played you know, more Wallace games than I have.
0: I, I, <laughs> I, probably, I may have played more Wallace games than you, but actually, while my first thing was, my God, no, that's a terrible accusation to make. Actually, while I was thinking about it, while you were speaking, I was thinking, actually, that's true. And because you know, I've played a few of his 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 war games. I'm, I'm quite fond of war games. This this is something that's going to come on, on when we do talk about Twilight Struggle, I suspect. But as a as a as a genre, I've played quite a lot of historical war games. I quite like them. Um, so I've played quite a few of Wallace's war games. And you know what? You're right. The lot of those end up like a few acres of snow being. Janky in some way, being being unbalanced, being prone to to swingy strategies or or, or um, things that push one way or the other too much. Um, and but nobody ever hears about most of them because they're war games and they just fly under everybody's radar. And they just go on. They never get a second edition, and they're and they're quietly forgotten. And often they have some great ideas in them and they're really exciting for the first couple of plays and then you just go, oh, no, actually, I'm I'm not quite sure about this. I'm not quite sure it does stack up. So actually, you're right. I think that's a really perceptive and interesting thing to say and I think it's worth highlighting that who of his... Well, no, no. Actually, Brass, really, is one of the few games of his that hasn't had to go through that iteration. Right, Brass, Lancashire... Yeah. Uh, as reprinted Browse Lancashire it's still the same game
2: and it's still
1: it's very- almost identical
2: uh, almost yeah. identical yeah it's my understanding there's a couple of small changes to make the two-player experience a bit better but basically yeah you know, like I well, say yeah, yeah when it,
1: when it was published game. it was only a three and four player game when it was yeah. originally yeah. published so and we and we played a two-player game and it worked pretty well it was, it was real good huh. yeah I was, was, I was very right. impressed.
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's really perceptive uh, and really good. I think it's also worth pointing out that you can actually play Martin Wallace's Steam on the platform called Steam.
1: As uh, yes, you can. There, there is a a snake eating its own tail. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was while, say, while, while having
2: a nice steam in a bath, maybe. <laughs> Oh, I I just uh, out of interest, I counted up the number of Martin Wallace games that have been uh, released since Brass Lancashire and not including the Bloodstones, which is going to be released next year. It's 45
1: titles since 2007. Unreal. That's unreal. That's a lot of games. The only comparable output I can think of is Reiner Canizia. Now, Reiner Canizia is one of my favorite designers. And his stuff, even his like low rent stuff is still like, well, it may not be very interesting or very exciting, but it basically works. The mm-hmm. worst Martin Wallace game that I've played was a Doctor Who card game that he made around 2011. And I, I like Doctor Who a lot, but man, that game was rough. It just, it, it did not really work. Uh, <laughs> And I I remember really not liking it. I, I had something I wanted to talk about with the theme of this game. Sure. Because I, I love economic games. Actually, I've learned this about myself because thinking about Brass, I was like, man, there's something about this game that is really working for me. And it turns out it's because it's an economic game. And this is a particularly strong game about economics. And yeah. the reason is, is because you're, there's so many different industries and in you just kind of watch them interlock with each other. I've I've heard people say, you know, I'm not a I'm not an expert in this, but I've heard from economists that it's about people's choices. It's the choices that people make that kind of drive the economy. And that is very much true here. You'll find yourself making decisions to fill niches uh, that need to be made. You'll notice like, oh, hey, there's a huge demand for, say, coal or for iron or something like that. Yeah. And so you will build something in that regard. And it, yeah, it'll get picked up by someone else and they'll use it. You do use other people's infrastructure. Uh, you kind of have to because otherwise you're spending a lot of actions to build your own. And that's actually not as efficient as, as far as I can tell. So that's really cool. I really like that part of it. I, I think that the theme creates a lot of issues not not issues that's the wrong word but i i think it creates problems when you're learning the game be- precisely because of what i talked about earlier it is kind of existing in two universes at once and so <laughs> i remember the first time i played just trying to like racking my brain why on earth do iron and coal function differently like they serve the same role you use them to build things but they behave in different ways now the answer if you've read the roxley version the rule book it says The reason is, is because coal always had to be transported in really high volume. And so it had to be sent on rail cars. So coal always has to be connected to your network somehow. Iron just like transports out like the Starship Enterprise. You can just pick it up from any old place on on the map. And I remember playing that the first time and thinking, that's weird. Like that just doesn't, it's thematic, but it's also, it is a little strange to kind of grasp. And there's a few things like that in this game that... that I think that's what keeps it from being like a genuinely accessible game because you just have to kind of learn that stuff. And there's always reasons behind it. It it meshes together and it works, but it doesn't make it easy to play.
2: Sure. I,
0: I think there's another reason why it's not an accessible game, which is that like the majority of Martin Wallace games and particularly his multiplayer games, and um, It punishes mistakes very severely. Oh boy! Yeah. <laughs> um, if you if you make a bad call in your first couple of rounds, you can find yourself without an income, with no way of getting an income other than taking a huge markdown on your future, uh, well, your future income by taking a loan to desperately scrabble yourself back in the game. And yeah, sure, okay, that'll get you back in the game, but you'll just be pegged behind the other players for the rest of the time, and and you will be in a, you know a lot of trouble and. I I would hesitate to say I don't know the game when to say you can't get out of that hole, but it's difficult, very hard, Um, and that is why I suspect Brass Birmingham is perhaps loved a little bit more. In fact, I think it is higher up the rankings, isn't it, than than Brass Lancashire? It's a slightly more generous game. It's a slightly easier game, not not in terms of weight of strategy. It doesn't come quite, uh, you know, quite hard. Quite so hard down on mistakes. Um, whereas with brass, if you get behind you were, you know, with the wrong strategies early on, you are going to stay behind. And some people really hate that. And it might mean, my God, you can understand exactly why you're going to hate that. If you're going to spend like 90 minutes playing a game of brass, um, with some experienced people going in and knowing you're going to you're going to be screwed over, um, you know, before you even your, your bum even touches the seat of the chair, uh, that's going to be off-putting. Um, and this is this is the thing that I find about Wallace's designs, like brass and and like steam as well, goes back to what I said at the beginning. I actually admire that. I think that that when I first discovered Eurogames, right? So, so I come from the old-fashioned Dungeons and Dragons branch of the hobby, where, where we were just chucking tons of dice around, right? And um, and when I first heard about Eurogames, I had in mind this idea that they were going to be, you know, these extraordinary things that are like four-dimensional chess, but with, with amazing Renaissance themes. And in actual fact, a lot of the early ones are nothing like that. In actual fact, the um, a lot of the a lot of the early ones are nothing like that because they're not that. They're not that heavyweight strategy. And a lot of the later ones are not like that because they are they are not interactive. Um, they, they, they have the weight of strategy, but they're not interactive. Brass has both, but um, I had this image when I first heard about Eurogames that this is what they were going to be like, you know, really big, intense, difficult, brain-screwing, punishing games. And Brass is very definitely such a game. Uh, and I think that or brass Lancashire, as I should say, and I think that disqualifies it from from certain groups of players having having the time with it that um, perhaps they might if it was a more if it was a, an easier going title on new players.
2: Fair enough. Uh, yeah, just having a look at the rankings. Brass Birmingham is number one in strategy, and Brass Lancashire is number fifteen on Boarding Geek.
1: Ian, I'd like to open a can of worms. Is that okay? Far away. I'm gonna dump it all over this podcast. Okay. Really <laughs> so
0: <Yeah. laughs>
1: so I, I have I do have one thematic issue with this game. And it's not one that keeps me from enjoying the game, but it's one that's extremely emblematic of Eurogames, especially around this time. And that is I don't this game has a it's not it's subtle, but I notice it it has an uncomfortable relationship with colonialism and imperialism, and sure. I only say that because you don't grow cotton in england no um you
2: and, and uh, you transport it to the foreign markets. Yes. There's something, the foreign there's
0: something market. a little bit. I think that's what Nate's saying. It's, it's not about selling the cotton on, the clothes on. The, the cotton yeah, mill, but also the you've stone, got to get the yeah. raw cotton coming in first. That's yeah. exactly
1: the, the, what it is. It's issues. a textile mill. It's a textile mill, which is a huge part of what built the English economy during the Industrial Revolution. But yeah. why could they do textiles so well? Because they were growing cotton in India and Egypt. Yeah. That's not a, this is not a thing that I, boy, I don't want to get an angry email about this. We probably will anyway, but I don't think this disqualifies this from being a great game, but it bothers me on two levels. One is I've spent a lot of life, a lot of my life living in a lot of different countries, many of which have been colonized by various European countries. And in one case by the U S and that, that just feels like a big oversight. Like, I think there's this sort of, it creates this myth of, wow, we pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps and made a great economy. And it's like, I, I, don't, I don't think that's what Martin Wall is meant to say, but it just feels incomplete. It also kind of bothers me on a gameplay level because I think incorporating those raw materials into a game like this would actually be really interesting. And it's now it maybe it's beyond the scope of what the game wanted, and maybe it would have just been better if he called it a textile mill instead of a cotton mill. And on, on the, the, the scale of uh, Euro games that are kind of offensively colonialist, I would say that Brass rates about a 3 or a 4 out of 10. I mean, it's, it's really not that bad on this, as this kind of thing goes. And I really don't think it disqualifies you. Like, play the game. It's really cool. I really enjoy it. If you like economic games, it's good. But I think it's worth... It, it's. I, I think it's worth looking at that a little bit and picking up that rock and seeing what crawls around underneath it.
2: Not, not to mention, as I, I sort of hinted at the intro, it's set in a period of the UK where the working class were very much under the boot and heel of Ooh. incredibly rich industrial barons and had very little or anything yeah. to say about that and basically didn't have anything to say about that. They couldn't say anything about that. They just. It was just the way it was. You, you mentioned there, like, you, you think maybe like... It, being textile mills instead of cotton mills do you not think that would sort of hide hide the reality more try, like if you seem like it's trying to hide that more possibly
1: i you know yeah. i i'm not i just i'm just a guy talking on a talking into a microphone <laughs> so what do i know if, if the game is not not going to engage in it then yeah. really don't engage in it sure. really make it beyond the scope of the game because they weren't cotton mills you know when you're like it's it's whitewashing either way if you're going to whitewash, let's at least be, you know, use the correct terminology. I don't know. This is maybe it's a little bit silly, but I think it's worth looking at because this is kind of an unpleasant legacy that goes into a lot of European games of this time period.
2: For sure. And it, it, you're getting an interesting thing now where the that those those legacies are certainly being revisited for those games. Like, so we're seeing there's a new version of Puerto Rico coming out, for instance, which is mm-hmm. very controversial in its, in, in its theme, um, but they're resetting it. To a period that, to focus on the actual people of Puerto Rico rather than the colonizers, which is an an interesting thing, an interesting thing to do. With that game, and I think we might see more of that as new versions come out, and we we see sort of this influence on the current era of board games from this this period of board game design.
0: That kind of worms actually is a, is, a, is a particularly oh, tasty. Difficult can of worms and in this instance. Because, a lot of worms. You're know, you know, really packed really, in there. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to be. I'm going to have to say this now. This is kind of difficult to talk about. I don't know if Martin Wallace's games, and, and I mean, this is no, no personal reflection on Martin Wallace's politics. This is a thing, you know, what you're talking about in terms of colonial erasure is too strong a word, but bypassing almost. Is is a thing that that is in some of his other games. Um, if you look back at Struggle of Empires, slavery is a part of Struggle of Empires. It's not there's no there's no commentary on it at all. It's just you get little slave counters that you can or or, or buy if you want to or not if you don't. I haven't played it for years. And Austra- Australia, haven't played, but that is a game about the colonization of Australia. Now I know that he has said in interviews that. He got the idea for doing it partly because he wanted to make a game about the colonial history of of Australia. He's clearly worried about it because he says it's so horrific, it is so brutal, what was done to the indigenous people of Australia that that nobody would play it. Nobody would play it because because it's it's just there are too many atrocities. But his choice to tackle that by replacing them with monsters is questionable.
2: Yeah, I'd say that's fair. Yeah. fair comment.
0: So, you know, this is why I'm saying why I don't want to, I'm not going to um, take issue with Martin Wallace's politics because clearly he's disturbed by this stuff uh, and thinks about it and is, and is worried by it. But he perhaps needs to make better choices about representing it in his games. you say
1: that? Yeah, maybe so. Like I said, I cannot emphasize enough. I, I really like this game a lot. And I think that you can't, if you're just going to touch on real world Themes and real world settings—you're always going to brush up against this stuff. I'm sure we'll get this a little bit when we talk about uh, Twilight Struggle. There's a couple things in there that I'm not not this uncomfortable with, but are just like that's not really how it worked. But uh, we're also, you know, we're not we're not re- talking about a scholarly work here. No. We're talking about a game that people will play. That doesn't mean you shouldn't think about this stuff, but it also means that some things are beyond the scope of a game design, yeah. and I'm comfortable with that too. It And so, you know, it's it's okay to say both things are true, and I think that's definitely a case here. And I think it's worth talking about, especially when, when the purpose of this cast
2: is to look back at older games and recommend them to modern board game players in, in a lot of cases, or say, like, yeah. these games are incredibly influential, you might want to play them if you're interested in the history of board games. And it is it's worth talking about the problematic elements of some of those games, for sure, because there will be some this won't be the first time we'll, we'll come across problematic themes in some of the games we're talking
1: about. Definitely. Talking about
2: sort of influence on the current year. obviously it's had a very recent new version. The Roxy version was Kickstarted in 2017, came out in 2018. And it feels to me like it's... suddenly Brass was back in the sort of headlines again and it's been influential maybe in other companies going back to older catalogs and releasing new games. I mean, we've seen like Restoration Games do a lot of that over the last few years. Do you think uh, like Brass was responsible for that or was riding a wave of reprints at the time? Uh, And what influence do you think it now has on sort of modern board game design?
1: Well, we can talk certainly about what happened immediately in its wake, which is there were... You know, Martin Wallace kept on designing a lot of games and, uh, you know, a lot of you'll find a lot of similar ideas in the games that came after, Uh, most obviously in Age of Industry, which is a game he released in 2010, had its own little product line. Age of Industry is, you know, I have friends who really, really think highly of it. It's a stripped down version of brass, extremely stripped down in that it's meant to play in a much shorter time. It only has one age. There's no canal rail split in it. I think the game is still at least available in some form. Uh, I actually looked today to see is like, I don't want to name this game if it's totally out of print and gone forever. The, the prices aren't that high on BGG, which tells me that maybe it's not totally gone, but I don't know. Uh, but it's, it's well-regarded. It has a lot of fans and a lot of people really, really enjoy both games a lot. So I think that's one, one impact to one, one, one part of this game's legacy. We want to be sure we, we talk about. And Brass Brass Birmingham is the obvious the obvious one as well.
0: I think you can see, I think for me to go full circle back to what I said back at the start of the game, Ars, the original Brass, was the game that demonstrated that you could have your cake and eat it as a game designer uh, in terms of being all things to all people, in terms of being interactive, in terms of being historical, in terms of having deep strategy, in terms of having multiplayers. You know, having all those good things that people want in one box. Um, and I think that other designers, I don't know, you know, you can see the hallmarks of brass in some later economic games, I think. Um, but for me, what made it, that's what's made it special. And that's the impact it's had that people are not as afraid to tackle some of these things now. Than they were, you know. We we saw back when we were talking about Agricola and some of the games that came out in the wake of that. There was this period, I think, of, of slightly staid design where people were just trying to mix more and more resources, more and more, just throwing more and more things into into a game, a games of resource management, basically, with minimal interaction because they weren't sure how to get out of that design loop. And I think Brass broke out of it, um, and we've got a lot more interactive heavyweight games now to play than we used to have thanks partly to its demonstration that this was a thing that you could do that it was a possibility that there, there were mechanical ways around things like left-right player balancing around zero-sum interaction and things like that and that, that that showed everybody what you could do with an economic game with a heavy economic game
1: i'm going to make a bold statement i like bold statements I didn't say I like correct statements, but I like bold statements. (laughs) So (laughs) my bold statement is I actually think that brass Lancashire and brass Birmingham are the reasons that I, I think they have secured Martin Wallace's legacy as I I should say, secured his legacy amongst the hobbyist. Now, Martin Wallace is not a, he's not a designer. He's had a lot of games that have kind of gone mainstream that have ended up like that Ankh-Morpork game. I think actually had some traction. Uh, It's not in print anymore, probably because of rights issues. So he's had some games that have kind of gone beyond the hobby. But amongst hobbyists, there are very few games in the top 10 on Board Game Geek, the top 20, that are old designs. Uh, The ones that come to mind, there's a few few exceptions. One is Twilight Struggle. We will get to that sometime down the line. Another one, and this is much more, I think, appropriate and closer to, to brass, is Through the Ages. And Through the Ages, I, I think, actually had the same kind of thing, which is those are both they're both kind of big games. Through the Ages is much bigger and more epic and more complex, but they're in that same weight class. They're the kind of games that were cult hits in the mid and late 2000s and kind of fell out of print. And they were both given an enormous boost by, in the case of Through the Ages, kind of a, an overhaul, a redesign, a kind of ground up rebalancing and redoing of the game in the case of brass a very nice graphical upgrade that is is, i think is easier to play than it used to be in its old tree frog form and i i think if it weren't for that martin wallace would be thought of amongst hobbyists he would always have his cult followers because he's he i said, he kind of cultivates that but i i think we'd be thinking about him like he, he would be one of those designers from the before times, uh, who used to be like one of the biggest deals in the hobby, and now has his has his fans, but is not going to break into that mainstream again. But I think Brass has really kind of secured him as being like, no, he's a he, he's this his legacy is secure amongst hobbyists now. Or maybe I'm wrong. What do I know?
2: I think he got a bit of a name with Wildlands as well. That was 2018. Yeah, was Wildlands started. is good. Yeah, I played the Judge Dread version of that, and that that was pretty pretty good fun. And that that had that's had quite a bit of a following and a load of expansions through Osprey Games in the UK. It Has, but so it doesn't it's...
0: feel like a Martin Wallace game. Now I like Wildlands a lot, um, but it has it has. A, a, I'm, I'm drifting off topic there, but just to say quickly, it has um, problem in that it lives in a very crowded genre with some extremely good games. You know that that skirmish game. You're you're up there fighting with oh, kind of a series like like Unmatched. You're up there fighting with a series like Warhammer Underworlds, and um, both of which, just off the top of my head, are better than Wildlands. And there are probably other games uh, as well in in that kind of in that space, that little miniature skirmish space. So I really like Wildlands, yeah. but but it's you know it, it it's unfortunately kind of been owned by by other games in the same genre. But as I said, it doesn't feel like a Martin Wallace game. It doesn't have that punishing. Weight that some of his and most of other titles have it doesn't it's, it's a, quite a random game um you know there's, there's a lot of random factors a lot of chaos in there it's not a game that rewards a lot of forward planning so you know while i really like it um i'm not sure it would it would work as a, a cornerstone as a legacy game in the same sure. way that you're saying brass, brass might because brass has all of wallace's hallmarks and, and good hallmarks they are too, as I was saying earlier, unusual hallmarks.
2: Talking of legacy, uh, it's interesting to know that uh, one of his other economic games, Tenner's Trail, has also received a recent reprint through Alicat Games in the UK. That was twenty twenty one. I came out, and I played a version of that in the not too distant past. And I it totally forgot
1: about Tenner's Trail. I like yeah. that game. I don't think I've thought about that game once since like two thousand and eleven. <laughs> I- <laughs> Not not nothing against the game is just. There's been a lot of games since then, but <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
2: We're coming towards the end of our hour, so do you think like the the reprint of Brass? It's sort of like it's the refocusing of it, it becoming more of a thing. Both Brass Burn obviously sitting at the t- almost at the top of the strategy right rank- rankings on Board Game Geek. Do you think the reintroduction of those games to the hobby has Pushed people to make more economic games to see, to see what they can do with that kind of format. Is that style of the game gone by the wayside now or are we going to see, are we seeing the resurgence of it?
1: I don't think it's gone by the wayside, but I would say that the Roxley Games versions have sort of cemented this game as the best, as one of the best in the class. It, it, it almost seems redundant in some ways to me. Now, I'm, I, I don't have my finger on the pulse of what's hot the way I did back in 2011, 2010. But it feels like because of the Roxley, the Roxley versions that, and because this game, these games are both still in the top 20 on BGG. They, they are very present in people's minds as a, they are, they are current games. They're not legacy games for people. They're not this, not, not like the genre of legacy games, but they're not antiques. They're still extremely relevant. And I think that shows the, that speaks to the, the strength of the original design quite a bit.
2: Yeah, but worth saying actually, I don't think we've mentioned during the cast both the uh, Brass lancashire and Brass Birmingham are still readily available and in print. Yeah, and,
1: and I think they're actually sold through the board game geek store.
2: Yeah, uh, and I, th- I think through Roxley's main site as well, you can get them, mm-hmm. in board game stores all over the place as well.
1: Yeah,
0: I'm almost tempted to say that Brass has had an effect on economic games, and the same effect on games that Agricola had on on kind of worker placement games. Um, which is that afterwards there was nowhere left for people to go other than bigger and heavier, which isn't necessarily a good thing. And Brass is, is while I have kind of poked little holes in its, in its accessibility, um, it is not a particularly hard game to learn. Um, and then it's been followed up by things like Barrage, you know, which is this massive game about building gam, dams and kanban. You know if there was every game if there was every game that you know we talk about people feeling like they're they're doing work at home when they're playing board games, if there's was every game that was like doing work with <laughs> like what is it is Kanban, God's sake, it's literally about
2: work and no, I've not played kanban, but I've, I've seen some reviews of it, and it just terrifies me <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly yeah, yeah, Likewise, likewise both cats likewise. Um, but this is the point I'm trying to make, that, that just as designers felt, I think, after Agricola, that they had to go bigger and heavier in order to make some, carve some space in this, because Agricola did what it did so well. Arthur's has perhaps done the same to Art games, to some extent, I think. Um, it is still... One of the best, if not the best, economic games out there. And it's, it, uh, you know, it, that balance of, again, I keep going on about this, but it's such a big thing for me with Brawls. That balance of accessibility, of ways of, of interaction, of simulationism is just so hang on there. It really is. And I said the same about Acrippa, if I remember rightly, I think, or made a similar point. And it's the same for me. They, these are games that, you know, they, they've not been bettered in terms of just sitting across these different different appeals. Um, and and it's very admirable uh, in that in that way I think and hard to beat hasn't been beaten. Yeah,
1: I, I think the only the only exception who who really carried on the legacy and they've not not even really maybe necessarily influenced by Brass but more of a more of a parallel development are the games of splatter. If you look at things like uh, a, a big a big precursor of Brass that I should have talked about earlier was uh, Indonesia, which is a, you know a game about shipping things around well uh indonesia and greed incorporated came out a couple years after brass food chain magnate is a big deal right now still a very popular game their games are even woolier than brass they're great they're really cool if you like economic games worth checking out but they kind of taken in the direction of making the games much more open and a little more uh frankly frankly even more punishing if you don't know what you're doing (laughs) Uh, because you can really be overwhelmed. But I think in terms of the, the Euro influence of, of uh, economic games, um, there's been a lot that have come after, but, but Brass is still top of that class in that genre.
2: Fantastic. There we go. So Brass still the still the economic powerhouse that it was when it first came out, and maybe even more so now. I don't
0: feel um, yeah. we can leave this episode without somebody going where's there's muck, there's brass. <laughs> I,
1: I, I, I was, mean, this I'll,
2: close I'll, think, to, I'll think about that for the edit.
1: <laughs> I was, I was this close to trying to affect a Northern England accent before we came oh. on, but I'm like, I would just embarrass myself and yeah. well, I'm okay with obviously. that. But I didn't want to offend any of our Northern English listeners. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many people from Lancashire are listening. <laughs> We'll re-record the whole episode and, and,
2: and Matt can put on an accent. That, that'll definitely go down well.
1: <laughs>
2: Thanks very much for listening. Editing for the cast was done by me, Ian McAllister. The music for the cast was provided by my brother-in-law, David Dolliver, with my friend Alistair McLeod. Our logo was created by Rachel Winesthrower. If you like what you've listened to, then the best way to help us out is by telling your friends about us and leave us a review and rating on your podcast host of choice. You'll also find the cast on the thecultoftheold.com, where you can find writing about older games. You can follow the hosts on Twitter, I'm at the Giant Brain. Matt is at Thr, Matt, that's M-A-T-T-T-H-R. Nate is at Sanaldefanzo, that's S-A-N-I-L-D-E-F-A-N-S-O. You can come and chat to the team and fellow game enthusiasts on our Discord, and there'll be an invite to that in the show notes. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do so through our ko fi and I'll put a link to that as well. You can send the cast an email about any of the games we've covered, should cover, or anything else really, at culttheolduk at gmail.com. Bye for now. Funkenschlag.